They're one of the most iconic and controversial names in music history. Today on Reactions to the Classics, 25 Things About Led Zeppelin. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Sean Holmes. Welcome to the Reaction to the Classics Music Podcast. And today we got a fun one. 25 things about Led Zeppelin. And I will tell you what, there's a lot of cool things that ended up on the cutting room floor with these guys. Getting it down to 25 wasn't so easy. Before we get into those 25 things, let's talk a little bit about the band themselves. They were one of the most successful, innovative, and influential rock groups in history. They're one of the best-selling music artists of all time. Various sources estimate the record sales between 200 and 300 million units worldwide. And I just found that to be an incredible variance, right? There's a big difference between 200 or 300, but... All in all, still totally amazing. They're the third best-selling band worldwide and fifth best-selling act in the U.S. And guys, for the foreseeable future, the way that music sales are charted, that's not going to change. We don't live in an albums-based world anymore. Each of their nine studio albums placed in the top ten of the Billboard album chart. Six of those reached number one. They achieved eight consecutive U.K. number one albums. And they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995, where, incidentally, that museum's biography of the band states that they were, quote, as influential during the 70s as the Beatles were during the 60s. That is quite the statement. Not really agreeing with that one, just because I don't think anybody could be as influential as the Beatles, but still quite the interesting statement by the Rock Hall of Fame themselves. Well, let's get to this. Number one. Robert Plant was not the first choice for lead singer. No, Jimmy Page actually first approached singer Terry Reed about fronting Zepp, who were still known as the new Yardbirds at the time. But Graham Nash had already talked manager Mickey Most into signing Reed as a solo act. So Reed actually ended up recommending Robert Plant for the lead gig as Zepp's singer. Along those same lines, number two, John Bonham was also not the first choice. See, Jimmy actually asked Ainsley Dunbar, who later played in both Journey and Jefferson Starship, about coming on board as Led Zeppelin's first drummer. But Dunbar was more interested in launching his own band, the quickly forgotten Retaliation. Oops on Ainsley's part. However, let's be honest, Zepp would not be Zepp without Bonham. So it all worked out. It always does in these things. Number three, Led Zeppelin's iconic fourth album is actually untitled. It is not Led Zeppelin Four. See, their first three albums had simple titles. Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin II, Led Zeppelin Three. But when it came time for number four in November of 71, they stripped things down even further, refusing to print a single word anywhere on the record sleeve, not even their own names, apparently in hopes of causing confusion among the hated rock press. After all we had accomplished, Page said, the press was still calling us a hype. So that is why the fourth album was untitled. Now, naturally, this created some confusion and it infuriated the record wave Atlantic Records. The band did include four symbols on the cover, one that represented each group member. Page's symbol seemed to spell out Zoso, which is what some fans actually call this album. 
Page has insisted the symbols aren't letters at all. John Paul Jones' symbol of a circle with three interlocking ovals was found in a book of runes and is supposed to represent a confident and competent person. John Bonham's symbol of three interlocking circles was also from that book of runes, which later the band claims they realized resembled the Ballantine beer logo. Now, Robert Plant's symbol of a circle around a feather includes the feather of Mayat, the Egyptian goddess of truth and justice. The origin or meaning of Page's symbol remains unknown. Doesn't really matter, guys, untitled or not, and whatever those symbols mean, the album has sold an astonishing 37 million copies worldwide. Number four, Keith Moon of The Who gave Led Zeppelin their name. Here's how the story goes. In May of 1966, Moon and Who bassist John Entwistle recorded the instrumental Beck's Bellario with Page, John Paul Jones, and Jeff Beck. Now, let's just think about what a fivesome that would have been, right? The track came out well, and they tossed around the idea of forming a new band. Moon allegedly said the band would go over like a lead balloon, you know, hence a Zeppelin, which is a rigid, although balloon-like airship. Page remembered this joke two years later when he created Zepp. Now, Accounts do differ about this a little bit because for decades, Entwistle claimed it was he, not Keith Moon, who made the lead balloon crack. But history in various sources seems to favor Moon's version more. Number five, Jimmy Page initially wanted to name the band Led Zeppelin. Now, see, you can't read along because it's a podcast, but Led is in L-E-A-D. See, when he first formed the band in 68, it was called the New Yardbirds. They used his name even as they toured across Scandinavia, marking the first tour with the group's four members. Later, they decided to change the band name. They kind of had to because of legal action. Page wanted to call themselves the L-E-A-D Zeppelin, but was worried that Americans might pronounce it as lead instead. You know, lead Zeppelin, probably not go over well. So they settled on Led Zeppelin, the L-E-D. Number six, This one's a little creepy, but it is what it is, right? Jimmy Page dated a 14-year-old girl while he was in Led Zeppelin. At the time, Page was 28 and became infatuated with the teen model and groupie Lori Maddox, who was just 14 when they started seeing each other. Rumor has it she also had had an encounter with David Bowie and his then-wife Angela before this when she was 13, but... That is just rumor, who knows, but it was well-documented, in fact, that Page dated her for quite some time. Number seven, Jimmy Page was accused of worshiping the devil. Now, Jimmy did little to deflect the rumors throughout Zepp's history, perhaps seeing them as good for business, right? Rebellious teens would like that, that image out there if they don't follow the norm. He said, I don't really want to go on about my personal beliefs or my involvement in magic, he told Rolling Stone magazine. I'm not interested in turning anybody on to anybody that I'm turned on to. If people want to find things, they can find them themselves. However, prior to the success of Zepp, Jimmy Page was heavily interested in black magic and dark arts. He even owned a bookshop and a publishing house based on the occult. And in 1971, Page bought the former Loch Ness Scotland home of Aleister Crowley. Crowley, for those of you that don't know, was a British philosopher and occultist who dabbled in black magic in the early 20th century. Jimmy claimed that house was actually haunted, but not necessarily because of Crowley, but because of his previous owners. That same interview in 1975, he told Rolling Stone magazine, it was also a church that was burned to the ground with the congregation in it. 
Strange things have happened in that house that had nothing to do with Crowley. The bad vibes were already there. A man was beheaded there, and sometimes you can hear his head rolling down. The guitarist was a fan of Crowley's, though, having Crowley's Do What Thou Wilt inscribed in the runoff groove of the original Led Zeppelin III vinyl records. Page was believed by some to worship Satan because of all of these connections, but like I said, he never officially confirmed it. Number eight, they never had a number one hit single. That's right, just like Black Sabbath, Bob Dylan, and Jimi Hendrix, to name a few surprising others, they never managed to climb to the top of the singles chart. The highest rank they ever achieved in America on the Billboard Hot 100 was back in 1969 at number four with Whole Lot of Love, followed by Black Dog at number 15 and Immigrant Song at number 16. Another reason they might not have ever had a number one hit is because they didn't really approach the media the same way as everyone else. They didn't do a ton of interviews, and when they weren't touring, they kind of kept to themselves. Number nine, Jimmy Page almost retired from music at the ripe old age of 19. See, Jimmy was kind of a prodigy. He first appeared on live TV when he was only 13 on BBC's All Your Own in 1957. He's playing in a skiffle band at the time. And if you don't know what skiffle is, it's just a kind of like British bluegrass or folk music. And at this time, Jimmy was already wowing the music community. By the early mid-60s, Page was already one of the most successful studio musicians around and considered retiring from music at 19 to pursue art. Now, the story and legend has it that when he first caught wind of the American blues scene, it sparked a whole new love and motivation for the young rock star and that he would go on to eventually play in the Yardbirds and, of course, help form Zepp. Number 10, John Bonzo Bonham never had a drumming lesson. That's right. The crowd-shy drummer, whose first drum set was cooking pots and pans. That's how he started at age five. He didn't get his first snare drum until age 10, and his first full set of drums wasn't until he was 15. Talk about making do with what you have. Another few things about John that I find interesting, he had terrible stage fright. You would think after the years of performing, it would be natural for him, but he routinely had panic attacks before shows. He first started out in a band called the Crawling King Snakes, a band where he would meet Robert Plant and form a strong bond. They were later in another band called the Band of Joy before they both came on to Zepp. His nickname was Bonzo, and he was known for hitting the drums hard. I'm talking really hard. He would very often use long and heavy drumsticks, called them, quote, trees to aid in the aggressive sound he was known for, widely considered, along with Keith Moon, to be the greatest drummers to ever live. Number 11, and sadly on the John Bonham topic, he drank 40 shots of vodka the night he died. According to the coroner's report, he had the equivalent of 40 vodka shots in his system. He'd been drinking quadruple vodkas earlier in the day and was so inebriated he failed to wake up when his body began, I'll put it nicely, ejecting the alcohol. See, he was at band practice for the entire day at Jimmy Page's house. After burning the midnight oil and and consuming those quadruple vodkas, he passed out. So Jimmy put him in his spare bedroom for the night. Unfortunately, the next morning, Jimmy went in and found John had passed away. So on that date, September 25th, 1980, two deaths in a way it actually occurred. John Bonham and, of course, Led Zeppelin. Let's not forget the other John, though, guys. Number 12, John Paul Jones' real name is John Baldwin. The Rolling Stones manager 
Andrew Lug Oldham hired session musician Baldwin to work on a single by another group he was managing at the time. He liked Baldwin's playing, but wanted a more artistic surname. He did not like that John Baldwin. Not knowing what it was about, Oldham was intrigued by the name of a Robert Stack movie titled John Paul Jones from 1959. Oldham called Baldwin and informed him of his new name. And, you know, John just kind of rolled with it and went, cool, I'll be John Paul Jones. Number 13, John Paul Jones is kind of a one-man orchestra. Obviously, he's best known as the bass player of Led Zeppelin, but very few people know that he's actually a multi-instrumentalist, can play organ, guitar, mandolin, violin, auto harp, lap steel guitars, sitar, ukulele, continuum, cello, and mellotron, and probably a lot more. That is one talented dude. Number 14, it goes back to the controversy part I talked about in the intro. Led Zeppelin had a problem with plagiarism. Now, the most iconic case of this is Stairway to Heaven. The claim was that it came from a band named Spirit, who said Zepp had stolen their intro from a song named Taurus. See, Taurus was released in 1968, three years before Stairway to Heaven came out. Randy California, the lead singer of Spirit, which, I mean, what a great name, right? Randy California. Him and Jimmy Page toured together in early 1968 until 1969. Randy California was just 16 years old when he formed Spirit, and there's no record of him demanding for royalties for his songs, even up to his death back in 1997. But that's when things took a turn. The estate of Randy California filed a lawsuit against Zepp after his death in 97 for taking the intro from Taurus and making it part of Stairway to Heaven, then gaining millions of profit and recognition for it. It took a long time to get this thing settled, not until almost 20 years later, June of 2016, the judge for the case cleared Zepp of plagiarism and stated that the riff Led Zeppelin was accused of taking from Spirit's 1967 song was not intrinsically similar to Stairway's opening. The jury has found that Zeppelin did not, in fact, copy the opening chords of Stairway to Heaven from Spirit. Uh, If you have the means to find Taurus, I would advise you do that and make your own decision on that. We got another famous case, 2010 folk singer Jake Holmes, I don't know this guy, I promise, uh, filed a plagiarism lawsuit against Zepp claiming that he wrote Dazed and Confused. See, Jake Holmes opened for the Yardbirds in 1967. The Yardbirds drummer Jim McCarty and bassist Chris Dresha, who incidentally was the one who forced the new Yardbirds to change their name to Led Zeppelin due to a cease and desist order, purchased Holmes' debut album with his song Dazed and Confused on it for the band, which included Jimmy Page. Page heard that, obviously, a lot, but he credited himself as the sole writer of Zepp's Days and Confused from their first album. Some other songs that they've been accused of uh, maybe borrowing, Babe, I'm Going to Leave You, a song originally done by Ann Brendan. Whole Lot of Love, a song where the lyrics were borrowed from You Need Love by Willie Dixon and Muddy Waters. The Lemon Song, whose lyrics were taken from Howlin' Wolf, And Since I've Been Loving You and other songs whose lyrics were taken from one of Robert's favorite bands, Moby Grape. They're very famous for this, guys, so it has to be covered in this. Number 15, Robert Plant's unique ID. See, the way the story goes, early on, Robert attempted to buy a shirt he liked on Carnaby Street and was asked for his ID when he tried to pay with the checks. That's the way it happened back in the day, guys. You had to pay with the check and you had to show your license. 
Robert didn't have it on him, so he said, I'll be right back. He goes to his car and returned with a copy of Led Zeppelin's first album, where, of course, he's on there. And he used that first album as proof of his identity. There can't be a cooler ID story than that. Number 16, Joan Baez was the catalyst for Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that's right. When guitarist Jimmy Page and singer Robert Plant first met in 1968, they actually bonded originally over Joan Baez's version of Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Later on, they reworked the song and actually appears on Zepp's debut album. Number 17, Led Zeppelin actually had a plane. See, touring requires a ton of traveling. And what better way to do it than in your own plane? Legend has it Zepp bought the first Boeing 720 ever built to help make traveling more comfortable for their 1973 tour. They dubbed it the Starship. It also supported them through their 1975 tour, which cost about $2,500 per hour to operate this plane. It had a den, a 30-foot-long couch, a shower room, and an electric organ. Now, according to Peter Grant, Bonham once actually flew the plane from New York to Los Angeles. Of course, John Bonham did not have a flight license. The Rolling Stones and Deep Purple would also take a ride on the Starship at one point. Never knew this. I'd never heard of this because I I always think you think of that famous tour bus that uh, all musicians take, but if you can do it in a plane, oh my goodness, I would definitely advise that one. Number 18, they did very little TV. They only actually ever made a few TV appearances. This is because they realized that the audio video quality of TV is quite low and no matter how well they perform, they would be at the mercy of the studio engineers. And they viewed themselves as a live concert band, and they did not want it out there where they looked like they weren't just absolutely fantastic. So they also realized that it would increase concert sales as people would want to pay to see them perform live because they had never seen them before. And let me tell you something, as an aside, this is not one of the facts, but you could definitely argue, as my son Trey, who's oftentimes on this podcast, said to me last night, that Zepp might be the most talented band of all time. Between Bonham on the drums, I already referenced all of John Paul Jones's talents, Jimmy Page on the guitar, and Plant as a vocalist. You take those four individually, they stack up in the top 15 at their positions of all time. So you bring them collectively together, and oh my goodness. Number 19, Jimmy Page and manager Peter Grant paid for the recording sessions of the debut album. Jimmy was so concerned with losing artistic control, he decided to use his own money, paid 1,782 pounds for the 30 hours of recording and mixing sessions. Yes, they did that first album in only 30 hours, and I think this is probably the main reason why when you're paying for studio time yourself, that is going to severely motivate you to get out of there. Jimmy said later on, I wanted artistic control and a vice grip because I knew exactly what I wanted to do with these fellas. In return, the band made over 2,000 times the money they had invested in, grossing over 3.5 million pounds on that debut album. Now that is a return on investment. Number 20, they broke some serious records. Talking about those tours that they did and they took the Starship playing on, well, on their 1973 stadium tour in Tampa, Florida, Zepp played for 56,800 fans, which broke the Beatles record from Shea Stadium. However, that didn't last long because they broke their own record two years later when they played for 77,000 people in Michigan. And they're also famous for having the best split on concerts of all time as far as they made more money on their end and gave less away to promoters than anyone who's ever toured. Number 21, 
all of their previous records actually cracked the Billboard Top 200 when they released Physical Graffiti. They're the only band in history up to that point to have six separate records chart simultaneously. Number 22, they never won a Grammy while they were together. Now, they did receive the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2005, but never when they were together, which is crazy when you think about the amount of albums that they sold. Number 23, the great George Harrison actually inspired the Rain song after complaining about Zepp's repertoire. After one of the band's marathon three-hour concerts in Los Angeles, George warmly greeted Zepp backstage by exclaiming, I'll clean this up, F me. With the Beatles, we were on for 25 minutes. Sometimes we get off there in 15. He couldn't believe how long they could go. Harrison was an avid supporter of Led Zeppelin and friends with the band members. Behind his compliments, he was apparently disappointed by the band's lack of mellower numbers. George was talking to Bonzo, John Bonham, one evening and said, The problem with you guys is that you never do ballads. Page told this to biographer Brad Tolinsky. I said, I'll give him a ballad, and I wrote Rain Song, which appears on Houses of the Holy. In fact, you'll notice I even quote something in the song's first two chords. I like it, man. Page just stepped up and said, I'll give it to you. Number 24. For one night, they were actually known as the Knobs. See, Ava von Zeppelin, a direct descendant of Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin, was upset over what she believed to be a dishonoring of the family name by the band. She demanded the group change her name and got her wish on February 28, 1970, when the band performed as the Knobs in Copenhagen. Both popular and critical opinion favored the band's preferred name, and they were Led Zeppelin once more for their next show and every show thereafter. And wow, those are the decisions that make rock history. And finally, number 25, Robert Plant actually recorded an album in a wheelchair. The album Presence was recorded in 18 days in Munich, Germany. They had to do it that quick because the Rolling Stones actually had the studio booked right after. Robert had been in a car crash in Greece, Page later explained to The Guardian, Robert was really keen to do the recording, and we all were, because there wasn't anything else that we could do. You know, they couldn't tour, and that's what they were known for, because Robert's in a wheelchair. Plant recalled a failed attempt to move on crutches at the studio where he took a fall. He said Jimmy ran from the control room to pick him up. He was like an Olympic athlete, Plant exclaimed. I've never seen him move so fast in my life. Well, there you have it, guys. 25 things about Led Zeppelin. I left more than 25 things on the cutting room floor, so I would imagine there'll be another one of these down the road. Well, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode of the Reactions to the Classics Music Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us. When you get an opportunity, hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, when you get time, if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that'll help us out more than you can imagine. As always, if you want to reach me directly, you can hit me up at rttcyt at gmail.com. I promise to answer each and every one of those. We'll be dropping new episodes every Friday. Until then, stay safe, my friends.